0: Don't ever try to take Christie's stage time. Wow! See how fast I sat down? That was quick. Um, Well, I wanted to uh, uh, welcome you guys, and anybody who is new here, I'm Ryan Grable. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're just glad that you're here. We're glad that you're taking this opportunity on Sunday to be here to learn about God, learn more about Scripture. And so today, you're going to find that we're in this series of Acts, And if you haven't been with us in the beginning, you can jump in, obviously, at any point. Acts is a very long, long uh, uh, book. And what's beautiful about it is the book of Luke and the book of Acts were written by the same author, who is Luke. And he's writing to the same person. And so if you're seeing that Luke is kind of going somewhere with this book... And it kind of comes right off the edge of Luke and then goes right into the works of the Spirit through the church. We see the beginning of the church age. I've said this before, and I believe this uh, so deeply, is that we are in the church age now. This was the beginning of the church age. We are currently in the church age, and there will be a time when the church age ends What we're going to see here in Acts is we're going to see a new... I wouldn't say it's an age, but I'm going to call it that. An age of a new way the church experiences the world when it has the truth. And we're going to see for the very first time the beginning of what the church experiences in persecution. This this was a big part of the early church... If we think that persecution is done in the world, we are very mistaken. It is prevalent everywhere, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But we're looking at the birth age. Last week, if you remember, we were talking about the sermon that Peter was delivering. And any time the gospel is being delivered, what took place in this sermon is what you'll experience from a sermon, especially a gospel-centered sermon, There are moments of decisions that happen within a message. And there are moments when we rethink our life, we talked about last week. When you are confronted with truth, which they were confronted with the truth, and then they had that truth help them rethink the way that they live. All of you know exactly what I'm talking about. The moment that you bent your knee to Christ and rethought the way you were living your life, and realize there was another way. And then we repent, we turn, we go the different direction, and we repent from rethinking by being penetrated with truth by the Spirit. And then we experience what is a renewal of life. I don't know about you, but when I became a believer, I felt, it was more than actually just a feeling, even, but I did feel it too, is I felt like a, a renewal of my life. I remember some so many times, and tell me if you can remember being here, where you would see yourself as before Christ and after Christ. Does anybody have these types of memories? And you remember your life before Christ, and I remember I would look back at that person before Christ, and I wouldn't like what I would saw I didn't even like to remember that and as a matter of fact when people would meet me they would say like oh, what's happened to you where's the cult that has taken you like who are you and I'd look back and I just would just kind of shiver at the person that I w- was maximizing my potential in sin in and I felt a renewal a whole shift a change a joy that I hadn't had, a freedom that I hadn't had. And we experience that renewal of life, and then Jesus says he will renew all things one day at the end of the church age. And then we see that Peter, as he's preaching, and where some of the strength of his preaching is coming from is his revelation of Scripture. And that's the beauty of Scripture, is it reveals to us. The Spirit reveals truths to us. You've had it where you've been reading the Bible and you have like, I've read this like a thousand times, but for some reason today, something has been revealed to me. And so we get that through Revelation, but at the end of the day, it's the rubber meets the road. You can either receive it or you can reject it. And that's just the way it is. And so Peter is presenting this. They are taken into custody and arrested for this, which we'll talk about. But 5,000 people received it and said, there's something here, and joined the church, essentially. They were arrested by the same people who plotted and achieved at nailing Jesus to the cross. So this is not a great scene, and imagine putting yourself here, but we're going to see how we're going to put ourselves here the way that the disciples put themselves there. I think a lot of times there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of worry, persecution is scary. But they were not scared. And I think that this says something, it's something we need to pay attention to, we need to listen to. Because here we are with the same people who are very capable of doing a secret trial, this was not a show trial with Jesus, this was done in secret, closed doors, and backdoor deals. And they were able to get Rome to execute an innocent person. And so, here they are. They find themselves there. Now, Jesus reminded his disciples this day would come. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to John. And we're going to look at chapter 15. And let me just read this small little part right here. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you... Uh, you know it has hated me before it hated you, and if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of this world, because were, you were because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you that a servant is no greater than his master, if they persecuted me, they will pers- also persecute you. And it goes on to say in verse 26, down a little further, but when the helper comes, when I will send him to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus let him know that this day was coming. He prepared them for this day, but what they didn't have is the being filled with the Spirit. What they didn't have was empowerment that would stand before a trial, that they just watched their, 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 their mentor, their Messiah, be crucified on a cross. That they didn't have is that power, that very same power Jesus operated in in his ministry. Listen to James 1-2. It'll be up on the screen here. And this is James who has been through decades of persecution. And this is what he writes. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Does anybody feel that? (laughs) Something is going on here. Something has happened to these believers. Believers. Verse 3, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. How many times do we throw in the towel when it is difficult? I'm not talking about hitting certain gym goals or I'm not talking about I've got to wake up six days a week to go surfing. That's, this is not what I'm talking about. This is in a spiritual warfare. This is in the trials and the tribulation of life because of your faith. There are moments when we are experiencing sanctification, which means a refining process to become more like Jesus, which means like when my, when I'm getting pulled over by a police officer, which doesn't ever happen to me, but when I do, how do I respond? What is the character I want to display? This is not necessarily what this is talking about, and this is not persecution. The police officer isn't pulling me over to persecute me for my faith. Maybe one day, maybe that could be a reality, but that's not what's happening. So what do I respond like? Sanctification. But how do we respond when we're being persecuted for our faith? So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Meaning that if you could, if I told you, if you do these things, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing, would you do it? Yes, of course you would. Move in this direction of opportunities for great joy. You know, it's therapists say that, like, you know. When you're really like, I hate this about them. I'm so, I'm so upset about this with my boss. And they're like, this sounds like an opportunity. And you're like, oh, gosh. An opportunity? No. But this is what this means, an opportunity for great joy. Let's pray, and then we'll begin reading the text. God, we love you. <clears throat> we thank you so much. We know we are in a culture and in a time where we cannot fully relate the level of persecution that is happening and will happen to this group of believers. But God, that doesn't mean that we don't feel the same level, at least as far as resistance or mockery or others cutting us off from their life or shunning or public shaming. That doesn't mean that that's any less, God. I ask that as we read about your church, as we see how to respond to persecution, God, that we can only grow more deeply and deeply convinced and convicted in our beliefs. And God, we do pray for our brothers and sisters all over the world, millions and millions who are in serious persecution for their faith, where their lives are being taken, their families are being taken, their livelihood is being taken, and God, that their freedom is taken. If they had it at all, for no reason other than that they glorify and worship you, God, we pray for them. We pray for their safety. We ask that you be with them. They are our brothers and sisters. They are our part of our family, and we ask that you be with them, that their word is magnified and their boldness is greater. In Jesus' name, amen. I titled this message, Response to Persecution. Pretty simple. The reason why we have to talk about persecution here in our response to it is because this is when it does begin. You know, persecution is tough. Being, Being told you're a fool is difficult. Being told by those who you might respect or even love is very difficult. I remember in 2003 when they were starting to talk about this little group of guys who were building an electric car. And I'm kind of a little bit of a techie, not as much as I was back then, because you know the internet was like new, and you know? I was like all about it. And I was reading about them, and then I heard that they're, it was being laughed at. And even first when I first read it, I was like, oh, Are they building like a remote control car? This is a joke. Haven't you seen the Hummers that are out there? They can't get an electric car. And I remember just kind of having that little feeling, but I was still very intrigued. And then someone came in and bought that company, and then obviously it turned into the company that we see today. But I remember when I was first watching this, it was constant scoffing, constant laughing, constant like give up on this idea. It's a dead idea. It was nonstop, but here we are today, and those who probably scoffed are driving themselves around in an electric car. It's a matter of persistence. It's a matter of staying to the vision. It's a matter of believing in something no one else might believe in, but staying the course. Now, that's a car. We're talking about eternal life when we talk about the gospel. We're talking about a belief that is beyond anything else because you understand and have a deep conviction about what you believe and have come to know as truth. Acts chapter 4, it's the beginning of the persecution age. We're going to see that this is the first persecution, but it will not be the last. and is definitely not the worst. But you have to ask, what is persecution? I think it varies. I think that we will all experience levels of it at some point. The more bold you are, the more you will encounter. If you are not facing much persecution, you might want to ask yourself a question. I'll leave it up to you to ask it. I'm not going to say it, but you should ask, why is my life so peaceful? What is persecution? Trials that you experience because of your unashamed proclamation of Jesus and the gospel. That's what persecution is. Trials that you will face because of your unashamed proclamation of who Jesus is and the power of the gospel. No doubt you'll face persecution when you become bold, more bold in that. And they will come in various ways. You will experience them in various different ways. Currently, we live a little bit more like Acts chapter 4 persecution, minus the arrest. I will never forget, I was sitting in my car when I had a summer job. I was installing sprinkler systems commercially, you know. And I was with a bunch of guys who were very tough, very rough. And I was just this little new believer and I was reading my Bible on my lunch break in my car in the dead of winter. I'm reading it, and I remember, I'll never forget all these big dudes who I work with who just bossed me around and made fun of me all day anyways came over, and they were around my car, and they were laughing at me while I was reading my Bible. And I remember feeling ashamed. I remember feeling, like, down. I remember feeling ostracized. But that, that's what I felt. I went to work the rest of the day. They made a bunch of Bible jokes and, uh, and then my day went on. And then the next day, what I would do different now is I wouldn't have been in my car reading my Bible. I, I would have had lunch with my coworkers. I had lots of time reading my Bible, but that was the time that God placed me in front of people who were uh, perfect opportunities for me to share the gospel. I would do that differently now But we face persecution worldwide. It's more like the book of Acts and the rest of the book of Acts and about 300 years into from the book of Acts. That's the type of persecution that's happening around the world now. If you pray a prayer, pray for these brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering from this. They're tortured for 300 years from the book of Acts through they're tortured, they're abused, they have quick and they have slow deaths. You can just read Roman history on this. They have discrimination and they are criminalized in most places that they go. Constantly on trial or put to death for their belief, for political reasons, for power reasons. But they are no doubt persecuted. Today, there are 340 million of our brothers and sisters that are in areas of high persecution. One in eight of them is highly persecuted. We need to be praying for them. They're in extreme risk. But we see in Acts chapter four here, we're gonna see a few things. First, you're gonna see this, and this, because they're the most powerful people outside of Rome, accusing them of things, it doesn't remove us from what it, we experience in our life, right? I call these people the ascendancy, the powerful, those who have power. And we can experience that with those who might, we might respect who have a level of power in our life or say, who come against our faith, who want to put down our faith. We are, probably aren't being stoned by them, chased by them, but we're experiencing resistance and shaming for our faith. And so you can't remove yourself because you're not sitting in front of a court explaining your case, but there is the ascendancy in life, and they are powerful and they have power. But you have to remember this, that the gospel never concedes to earthly power. It can never concede to earthly power, especially those that try to muzzle it. I I know the Bible says, and Jesus himself, like, right, give to Caesar what Caesar, right, obey your authorities, God put them in place. I totally get all of that. When I get pulled over by the police officer, which I never do, I, I... I do pay the ticket. I want to be respectful. I respect that as authority. I totally get it. But I'm not, I'm not talking about civil disobedience. I'm talking about when powers that be begin to try to muzzle the gospel, we have a higher power. We, 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 this is why people are persecuted all over the world because they say, I will not bend to the higher power. I will boldly proclaim my faith. Therefore, they are persecuted. So we know this from Acts that there is a limit to how much we submit to authority. When it muzzles the gospel, we have to continue to proclaim louder. We don't fight. We don't throw things. We don't use the sword. That's not our battle. Our battle is to do exactly what these disciples teach us to do in this chapter. Okay, so let's read on. Verse 5. Here it begins. The next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and I will explain some of these people. And Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander... And all who were of the high priestly family had taken them out of custody, brought them in front of a council, and here they are now on a mini trial for doing something good. There was a man who was famously paralyzed, begging at the gates, who was now healed. And they cannot understand it. It blew their mind. This is like if you were pulled in front of the Supreme Court. You didn't go through all the court of appeals. You were just right there in front of the Supreme Court and the highest power in the land. This is their Supreme Court. And your message of doing good and doing good is now on trial because it impacts their entire system and way of life you have the power of the full government down now upon you this is a scary place is it not but they stood there boldly there was something about these guys now this group is the Sadducees and you'll hear different names Pharisees Sadducees these different groups the Sadducees this group become the greatest persecutors throughout the rest of Acts. Not necessarily the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They were, Pharisees were Jesus' greatest opponent in argue, arguing theologically, but the Sadducees were those who were in power. And this power drove them to interesting ways. They were in charge of the temple. They were in charge of the priestly order, and they were priests, especially high priests. They, um, they were in charge of all the sacrifices and they were in charge of the finances. So you can see why when Jesus goes in and flips these tables in the temple and charges them that this is a den of thieves, this is not a place where God is honored. That these guys, they didn't like it. It was a problem. And so you can see, this was really the charge behind why they needed to eliminate Jesus, and why they're here now because they don't want that message continuing. That was one man flipping a table. Can you imagine five thousand? This is a problem. So they're not happy about it. And so these Sadducees, they're, they they believed that there was no resurrection. So this is a problem with what they're teaching. They believed that there were no angels and they believed that there were no miracles, but here we go. We have people proclaiming that there is a resurrection and we have a miracle standing right in front of them, this man who is famously paralyzed and begging. They all knew him. I'm sure that they didn't like him because he took from the coffers a little bit. And so they knew who this man was. Everybody knew who he was at the gate. Beautiful. And then you have Caiaphas who is... Annas' son-in-law. Annas was a unique figure because he had power for such a long time. Five of his kids ended up being high priests. And one of them was his... One, the sixth person who he was related to was Caiaphas, his son-in-law. And the, eighth, the ninth person he was related to was his grandson. He was a very powerful figure. He was no longer high priest. But he was kind of like... Um, he was the the person who controlled all the strings. Interesting that Acts even calls him the high priest here, because he wasn't, Caiaphas was. He was that father whose son-in-law was working for him, and everybody still went to the father who owned the business because they're like, you're just the son-in-law. Does anybody know that personally? It hurts, doesn't it? It, it? It was where they were. But the rulers here, when you hear that, they're the rulers. This was very different. This was the Jewish civil law system. Whatever you think about ancient uh, 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 Jewish law, especially when it came to judicial law, you you might be wrong if you think it was just a kangaroo court. It was not. You might be wrong if you think it was just unorganized. It was not. It was very, very organized. This is why Jesus' death becomes a real problem. This is why it was so suspicious. Because it's a very clear-cut judicial system. There are 71 elders who who are like the 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 supreme court they convene only on major matters and a few times a year you have 23 people who are two sets of them at the temple one at the entrance of the temple and one at the temple who would handle judicial matters all day long they cut it off at night And then you would have in every single Jewish city, you would have the same set of 23 elders who would make judicial decisions. And if they couldn't deal with it, they kicked it up to that court. And if they couldn't deal with it, does this sound familiar? Okay, so this was very organized, very structured. It was very interesting. But these people were all there at this time. This was a major hearing. This is why they came from all over into Jerusalem, it says. There are five ways that they can execute you. But they couldn't at this time because Rome took that power away from them. That's why they had to go to Pilate to say, we can't kill him, but we need you to do it. But their way uh, was they could execute you on a capital crime. They could do it by stoning, a sword, a strangling, a beheading, and worst of of all, uh, a melted metal poured down your throat. Not a good one. They were all given to different kinds of punishments. Now, they had Jesus up on one of those charges, and it was blasphemy. But what they tried to sell it to Pilate was, is that he says he's a king, and therefore that's illegal against Caesar. He should be killed. So this is how that all happened. They were very crafty in their way to get their ruling. But I would say this. I spent... A very long time brushing up and extensively learning more about the Jewish civil law system. It was beautifully done. We adopted some of these principles into what we have today. The difference, maybe a little bit, is that they bent towards justice. Sometimes we don't always see that, but they bent towards justice. They wanted someone to be innocent more than they wanted them to be guilty. I'll give you how they did this. If the entire group of 23 elders voted that this person was guilty, they let the person free because they said there must be something wrong, that someone here couldn't say there's another way to see this because I see evidence that there might be something that he could be innocent, they would let him free. Is that not interesting? You had to have 13 people of the 23 to let them to, to vote one way or the other and so in Jesus' case they weren't unanimous there was two who dissented and therefore they were able to convict jesus because they too that believed he was innocent and so you look at this process but by, by the time that these rulers who are ruling now and very connected to corrupt fi- financing and power they actually used the judicial system and it bent towards anyone of dissent And so they are people of descent. But you got to remember, persecution is injustice, but you do serve a just God. So we see the power that they experience, which is it will become the persecution. You may face this in your own life. We have people all over the world that are. But you will face a power in some way for your boldness of your faith. No doubt. The second thing we're going to see here is the apostles' audacity. They didn't care. They didn't back down. They didn't cower. They knew what they believed and they said what they believed. And you have to remember this. The Holy Spirit empowers all throughout the book of Acts audacious moments for God. Their power didn't come from the fact that they were just going to tough it up. Their power came from the filling of the Spirit of which we'll see. And he creates audacious moments. Verse 7. And they had set them in the midst They inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, this is the worst question they could have asked. You know, in law, they say never ask a question that you don't know the answer to, right? When you're grilling someone on the stand, you don't want a bad answer. This is a question they shouldn't have asked because their response, spirit-filled, puts them on their head. This was a tradition to state by what name a miracle was required. You had to say what it was from, so they knew if it was from God or not. And so that's why they asked. But they, you got to remember what Jesus said. This is the moment. If you ever think that persecution is a, it's just a bad thing against you or it's the devil trying to hold you down, you don't realize the power of a persecution and what audience you are in front of when it happens. Here we go. Jesus says in Luke 21, 12... But before all this, when he's talking about the end will come, before, before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons happening, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Verse 13, but this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate before on how you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Do you see what he's saying here? Is that your persecution is actually going to present you an opportunity to boldly proclaim the gospel. Not to run. Not to hide. But to proclaim the gospel. Jesus told him this was going to happen. And he said In the frame of mind you want to be, you cannot win people with crafty words. It will be through the work of the Spirit. That is how you will convey who Jesus is. I think this is a spiritual appointment that they couldn't get unless they got arrested. You couldn't reach these people unless they were on trial. Paul finds this out when he appeals to Caesar. You cannot reach these people unless you're on trial. And so, therefore, it was a joy to be there. You know, maybe our trials are a platform. Maybe an audience that you couldn't reach before. Maybe you can see it, maybe in a different way, the way they did. Maybe when people see you under fire or being even shamed for what you believe, maybe in the way that you stand in grace, like Peter wrote many times in 1 Peter about how you should be when you're being persecuted with grace and peace and love, and it will show others what you really believe is true. Maybe in those moments, the audience watching you at work, in your family, wherever you're at, you'll gain an audience that you didn't think you'd have through this persecution that's happening. And they surely did. uh, Verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed, right, done to the crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all. This is not the guy who denied Jesus three times and ran. This isn't the guy who was hiding in the corners this is a different person and this is what happens when the spirit fills you boldness and it's not gone unnoticed by these by these leaders let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth this is how it's done now this name of Jesus was very very important by what name it would meant a lot in that culture And it's powerful when it comes to authority. The prophets were very clear on this name of Jesus. Let me read one of them. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child was born, to us a son is given. They're talking about the prophecy of Jesus. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and a Prince of Peace. They were very clear about the name of Jesus and what it came with. The disciples were not unclear, but these leaders were unclear. Jesus himself was very clear about who he was. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was very clear about who he was. The disciples were very clear about who he was. And the prophets were very clear about who Jesus was. His name had authority. And that's why that guy stood that day. It goes on. He says, The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Now, this probably lands because these men in this room are the ones who did it. The other people Peter was talking to of the 5,000 just earlier in this chapter, they were cheering for Barabbas to be let go and for Jesus to be crucified. These people he's speaking to are the ones who did it. They're the ones who made it happen. Now, God allowed it to happen, but they were the willing partakers of it. Doesn't it make them evil, doesn't make them terrible. All of us are part of nailing Jesus the cross for our sin, but they were the willing participants in it. Verse 11 This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. It's quoting a psalm there. And there's an old story about when the temple was built. I, th- I think it's quite interesting, is that they, would, they couldn't cut the stone for the temple around the temple. They had to do it at a quarry away, so they wouldn't disturb any of the practices at the temple. And so they ordered these stones, and they would come. And then one day a stone came, and I think this is very much what would be relevant to them when they hear it. A stone came that was odd-shaped. It didn't fit the current load of stones that were coming in. And they discarded the stone. They thought it was a mistake. And then they inquired of them and said, what is the stone that you sent us? And they said, no, 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 no. Do you still have the stone? That's the capstone. That's the cornerstone. The one that you discarded. That's actually the most important stone for this structure and this is what he is saying is that you missed it you discarded it you have thrown away the stone you didn't see that the most important stone you cast aside and then verse 12 there is there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name other under heaven which among men which must be uh, which we must be saved, or mean necessary to be saved. That's a powerful statement. And I think we all have to let that sit in and register, is that there is no other name, this name that raised this man, this name that is risen from the dead, this name that brought salvation, this name that bought us with price, oppres- this name that is the path to salvation, there is no other name. He boldly proclaims it here, right in the midst of persecution, this statement alone would be their death sentence if they could have. But they didn't shy back. Romans 3.23, Paul writes this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning that there is no other name that can save those who fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace. Listen to these words. Justified by his grace through redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation or a, uh, a, a reparation by his blood to be received by faith. There's no other way. If there's nothing more clear about the, than this message being preached to these men here is this statement. There is no other way. We can't reject the cornerstone when it's the completing piece we have to accept the cornerstone but there is no other way there's no but but when you think about this like it's not about there's many paths to heaven the bible is very very clear that there's not many paths there's no other name it's not about being good There's just no other name. It must be Jesus. And this is the authority of which they come in. And this is the authority of which we must rest in. That can be very offensive to people. I know that. But I I have to follow the lead of what Christ taught, and the Bible teaches, and what these leaders were speaking in. When they told this to these people, they were more than greatly offended. They were vexed by that statement. And if they had the power, they would have killed him right then. But they didn't. So there was no other name of which to be saved. The very next part, which I don't think i to finish the rest of the message, but we'll pick it back up later, is we're going to see that, one, we see their audacity, and then we see Jesus' authority. And this is where they get their confidence in, is Jesus' authority. We follow Jesus' authority, and we stand on it alone. When Jesus says all of heaven and earth, right, is mine. When Jesus says that all authority is mine. When the Bible says that every knee will bow, right, we stand on his authority and his authority alone. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Something changed. This is the elite of the elite. This is, these, these are the teachers of professors, right? These are the professor's professor, if you will. These are the elite, and they just can't get over what has just happened. But they see something's different. They perceive it, and they recognize it, and they're astounded by it. I love how God works. 1 Corinthians 1.26, this is what Paul is reminding his church. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things considered foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. This is how God works. No wonder they're stunned. I think we disqualify ourselves so many times from sharing the gospel with people because we disqualify ourselves well i I didn't get that uh, biblical studies degree well not <laughs> do you have a testimony you're good do you have you were impacted by the gospel did you feel the work of the spirit you're good. These men here didn't have the New Testament they were deeply entrenched in the, in, in the Old Testament they committed it to heart and it was Driven by the Spirit. Something was different. Their boldness came from the Spirit. This is what was different about them especially. But you have that. Don't shy back. Don't don't, don't write yourself off. That's exactly how, how we don't advance the kingdom is when we just disqualify ourselves. God will use the things that the world considers foolish to confound the wise. Never hold yourself back and think you're disqualified to share the gospel. You have a testimony and thankfully you have a Bible and you have a voice and you're filled with the Spirit, so let it, let it rip. Because you've got to remember this. It, 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 our, 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 I'll close with this too. Our s- is a spiritual war. I, I, you can't read enough books to, 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 to uh, convince someone to think something different. It's a work of the spirit. Instead of reading so many books on how to master a conversation, spend time in prayer for that person that God gives you the moment. We can waste a lot of time doing that stuff. Our weapons are of the spirit. They are not of the flesh. Our weapons are not ones that you wield. We don't do it by force and we surely don't do it by convincing argument. Ours is a spiritual war. It's the spiritual matters. I, I've tried to have answers for people. I've tried to give them conclusions. I have a lot. And I have moments felt like maybe they just need to know this and this and this about the Bible. And maybe they'll see that the, the way they're coming at this is no. I, have to, I should have spent more time in prayer for this person. I can't give them enough facts I needed to do it other ways like these disciples did. They did it in prayer. They did it in scripture. They did it through faith. And I tell you what, these disciples, they, bear, they bore spiritual fruit. That is, that, that, that is how you will share the gospel. Never disqualify yourselves like these Sadducees did of these disciples. They were the smartest people in the room and they were m- missing it. That should tell you something. God uniquely prepared you. You do not need an ordination to share the gospel. All you need is a step forward to share it and being willing to do it. We should spend more time in prayer, more time in scripture, more time in our disciplines, more time trusting in faith, and more time letting the fruits of the Spirit do the work. The rest of this sermon, or the rest of this scene goes on and I would encourage you, if you want to, you can download my notes or continue reading the passage. It, it, it ends in a very unique way because they, they speak of Jesus' power. They, they were given a charge by this committee, and it will make a lot of sense when you read the rest of the book of Acts because they said, we've all convened. This Supreme Court says, just we'll let you go, but don't go and speak this name of Jesus. We charge you with that. Now, Why do you think Paul had so much power later to go persecute Christians? It became law the moment it was spoken into existence. They weren't punished by that law. The law was established. You cannot go against this court. And so this took place, and it became the accusation of the charges. We said this is forbidden, and they are going. So you'll see how the persecution unravels. I don't think the disciples cared whether that when the law was made right in front of them or whether they realized it or not. What happened is they left, they got with their community, and they shared of the, the story. And the very first thing that they did, they all spoke to God and they said, Thank you, God, that you are with us essentially. And you know what they asked? They they asked the most important appeal. They didn't appeal to courts. They appealed to God. And you know what they said? Now that we are here as a group together, let's ask for more boldness. Do we do that? Let's ask for more boldness. Now that we're feeling the persecution and the rules and the resistance, God, give us more boldness that we can share your word. And they all prayed, And literally it says the foundations shook and they began to be more bold in their words. That's the exact opposite of what happens sometimes. Sometimes when the resistance comes, we can cower down, but they said, no, 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 no. More boldness, God. We know what we're facing. More boldness. That's what they prayed for. That's what they appealed to. God, give us more boldness. Let's pray. God, we come to you and we thank you God for the journey and the story of these disciples a lot of us God can relate to the pressure that they feel to, to be silent about their faith, the pressure they can feel even culturally to just minimize the gospel God but you, 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 you gave us something God that cannot be quiet God, you gave us something that should never be muzzled. And God, I ask, and we all as a group, as a church, pray for the same things they pray, God, for boldness. Filled with the Spirit and boldness. And God, that we, through that, will proclaim the truth. And whatever comes our way, comes our way. And God, help us to become a more bold, faith-based, trusting in you, relying on your word, prayerful church, that in the times as they put more pressure to silence yourself, God, that there's one thing that must never be made silent, God, and that is the gospel, and that is the power and authority of Jesus's name to transform a life Give us that boldness, God. We pray together as that. And God, as we worship together, we want to glorify you for that moment there. And we want to glorify you, God, for all of the brothers and sisters around the world that are facing persecution, that in the midst of it, they're more bold, God. We want to sing along with them. And God, we sing and give glory to you because we recognize who you are, who Jesus is, and the authority of which we stand in. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing this last song?